You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. You're listening to the Pull Box Podcast. The International Graphic Novel Book Club. Here are your hosts, Curtis Finley and Michael Cohen. Hello and welcome back to the Pull Box Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Michael Cohen. And I am your other host, Curtis Finley. And uh, this is our 48th episode in which we are going to talk about a Jurassic Park Classic, Volume 1. I and I, I, this is it's fun. This is fun. This is a very fun comic book to read. Uh, did you enjoy it? Yeah. Well, it's Jurassic Park. How could you yeah. not enjoy um, it? I wanna, I wanna go through this. I'm gonna go all the way through this so that you guys know uh, just how many people it takes to adapt a novel to a movie to a comic book. This impressed me too when I saw this. And then yeah. collect it many years later. Uh, under a different publisher. So this was originally published by Topps, um, but uh, then it was collected by IDW when they got the rights to Jurassic Park. So, uh, based on the screenplay by Michael Crichton and David Kep, from the novel by Michael Crichton, script by Walt Simonson, pencils by Gil Kane, inks by George Perez, and th- those are two big names. All uh, three of those. Walter yeah, Simonson, yeah, yeah. Walt Gil Simonson Kane, well. and George Perez. Yeah, Holy that's cow. a, that's a, that's a pretty, like, especially for that time, that is a blockbuster, like, like all-star lineup yeah. to, uh, to do something like this, but it is Jurassic Park. Well, it doesn't just stop there. Yeah. Um, the actual, the original comics have covers by Dave Stewart. Okay. And, um, inside, um, pieces by Arthur Adams. So oh, it's I don't have those you don't, in you, mine. No, uh, and I have the original yeah. issues. Um, so yeah, so like it goes, but mine goes on as well because there's lettering by John Workman, colors by Tom Smith, collection cover by Michael Golden, uh, with colors by Tom Smith on that. Uh, original edits by Jim Salakrup, collection edits by Justin uh, Isinger, and collection design by Sean Lee. So that's how many people it takes to do a comic like this and then to collect it. I mean, like, quite a quite a while after. This was... Um, 1993 is the original publication, and then this was collected in 2010. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, you know, it, it's funny, because we went, we went ahead and we did Volume 1. Um, I had these comics as a kid. Yeah. You have the issues. Um, I never had all of the issues, because this is back in the day uh, where comic shops were... Few and far between in 1993, if you can believe that, and it's well, it's maybe hard. up where you were in the Okanagan. No, no, no. This is Richmond. You know, oh, like you there were was Richmond there was the only time? like there was only like what like one or two comic shops up in there 93, in the 90s. Let's see. In 93, I frequented. There was Gotham Comics yeah. in over in the Edmonds area, and. Um, um, ABC Comic Emporium on Joy Street. I went to both of those and. Um, Taz Comics in Burnaby. Yeah. And um, so there's three. I thought there were quite a, There were way more comic shops then. Than oh, and I went now. to one in, in New Westminster called Cosmos and Talking Illustrations. Okay. Um, 
yeah, I went to a, maybe it's just because I was in a better spot than you. Yeah, so in, in Richmond, as far as I knew as a kid, yeah. you got your comic books at the Safeway or the corner store. Oh, okay. Um, and so you got comics when you saw them. Right. Yeah. I, now, I knew that there was, like, the comic shop on 4th. Right. I knew that that existed. But what? Who's, you're like 10 years old. You're not going to get all the way exactly. up there. Exactly. I wasn't even 10 years old. I would have been, in 1993, I would have been 8th. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it, 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 uh, it, was, it was tough for me as an early comic collector. That is why my Sonic the Hedgehog collection goes from issue 1 to 222, <laughs> except for issue 2. Because I just never found issue two. So, um, yeah, I have all, and now, I mean, a lot of those are in terrible condition, but, um, but Jurassic Park is, is another one of those examples. I actually picked up Jurassic Park on commercial drive in an AM PM, or I don't know if it's actually AM PM, but it looked like an AM PM. I, I, in the night, like in, like when they were brand new, I got the first issue and then I think I got the third issue, and I never found the fourth issue, but I have the first two issues of Volume 2, okay. which continues the story. Oh, um, I think I have those two. Yeah, uh, in which uh, there's some raptors that actually managed to make their way off the island, Yeah. Um, which, is, which is actually taken from the novel. Um, yeah. 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 So, uh, yeah, I definitely have... This one. Issue two. Yeah. Raptor. Yeah. Jurassic Park Raptor n- number two. Yeah. Um, so we, we read volume one, which basically covers the content of the film. Yep. Um, although it does, in a couple of places, there's a little bit of dialogue that's not in the movie. Yep. Um, so you know what I did last night? Yep. I, um, I decided <clears throat> that I was going to watch the movie. Okay. And read along... The, with the comic, oh, so as, I knew okay. I knew exactly what's yeah. there and what's not and what's different. Okay. I didn't need to watch the movie. While <laughs> I'm I sure did that you didn't. Know what, <laughs> Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park is one of those movies for me that is like formative. Like it, it defines who I am as a person. I was Doctor Grant two years in a row for Halloween, <laughs> uh, in 1993 and 1994, and then again recently. Uh, yes, two I years remember ago. the recent so, costume. Yeah, so I, yeah, like like Doctor Grant is one of my uh, all time heroes. I was going to be a paleontologist just like him for well, a it, long time until I realized that it involved not only learning to be a paleontologist and learning about dinosaurs, <laughs> but having to get like the full biology degree first. <laughs> um, and yeah, you gotta, you gotta, you, paleontologists are incredible. They, they have to basically be, uh, outdoorsmen survivalists because of the conditions that they work in. Yeah. Um, so you have to like camping, which I do not. Uh, they also have to be geologists because they have to know the differences between the types of rocks and, and mineral deposits that they're working with, yep. which uh, I have a mild interest in, but certainly not enough to, to warrant that much study. And then on top of that, you have to be a biologist as well, because in order to scientifically classify these animals, you have to understand extant species yep. to classify extinct species. So... So Dr. Grant is, is um, and in the novel, he is very much painted as the uh, jack of all trades. Um, and then you leave off the master of none. He is like, he, everything yeah. that he does, he is excellent as. The movie doesn't quite pull that off. Um, it does to a certain degree. I mean, Dr. Grant in the film is 
he's Doctor Grant. Well, he's, we know we he, get a sense that he knows what he's doing. Yeah, but that yeah. he and they pick him because he's an expert in yeah. his field. Yeah, but yeah, he doesn't actually show off his. He's not, very reserved yeah, in the not, movie. Certainly not as much as he does in the, in the book. Yeah, because in the book, it just to, to for those who haven't read the novelization, or not the novelization, the original novel <laughs> Jurassic Park, there is actually also a novelization of the film. Um, and why is that necessary? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's how it always goes, right? Yeah. Um, but in the original novel, Dr. Grant, uh, on top of... Um, being the expert that he is and going out into the park and, and, you know, saving the kids and then traveling back to the visitor center with them. When they get back to the visitor center along the way, they discover that, that, um, the dinosaurs are breeding in the wild and that there are raptors that have made it out of the enclosure and have been breeding in the wild for who knows how long. So there's a raptor nest somewhere on the island. Now, there's also a subplot going on in which uh, they notice that there are raptors on a ship that's leaving, the ship that Nedry was supposed to be on. Two raptors manage to make it onto that ship. So they have to worry about when they get back to the visitor center, not just getting the phones back online, getting the park back online, all that stuff. So but, that oh, can... yeah, many more raptors. But there are two <laughs> raptors on the ship, so they have to contact the ship and yeah. then get the ship to turn around and deal with the raptors that are on it. They also have to track down the raptor nest and kill all of the existing raptors. And Dr. Grant, along with um, uh, Dr. Harding, who is in the film and is in the comic, um, although he has a very, very limited role in the movie in the comic, um, as well as, get this, Gennaro, the lawyer, (laughs) who by the end of it has like a crisis of conscience of like, like, I, I need to, I need to help. And Grant is like, if you're going to help, then you're going to come with me and we're going to kill all these raptors. And they go and and they track down like like action movie style like with shotguns and flamethrowers or I don't know if they have flamethrowers. I think they have like incendiary grenades or something like that because they that sounds like the second movie uh, to a certain degree yeah, yeah. Th- there's a little bit of that but that is what inspires the second volume okay um, and the raptors getting off the island and yeah all that sort of thing so um, the book or sorry the 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 comic book tries to actually i don't know if it's trying to pull that stuff in from the novel or if it was working off of the original screenplay and the original screenplay had a little bit more content in it that either they didn't film because like i mean i i like to think that i've seen every deleted scene there is for jurassic park um like i have like four different versions of the original movie uh on blu-ray dvd (laughs) vhs whatever so um yeah, like I, I like to think that I'm fairly well versed in it uh, and its production, but it feels to me like some of this dialogue is stuff that was literally cut around oh, in, for sure. in the yeah. film, right? Mm-hmm. So, because there are moments where they're talking and the conversation goes a little bit further this way before it comes back to center. Um, and some of the other dialogue happens, and some of it is actually very close to, to the way that it plays. In the novel, yeah, um, as opposed to the way that it plays in the movie. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I really well, enjoyed reading through it. That's the nature of an adaptation. Yeah, it's because they're not actually at adapting the movie. Yeah, they're adapting the the script that they were sent months yeah. and months in advance. Yeah. 
and maybe the storyboards or something and like maybe that. some production and stills yeah so maybe. this um let's see the, the first issue yeah has a cover date when did jurassic park come out what month was that uh jurassic park came out i'm fairly certain in june of 1993 okay so this one has a cover date of june 1993 so um, it would have been it would have been it would have been out in march right uh yeah possibly because they uh, they sit on the newsstands because the cover date tells newsstands when they can send them back to the publisher. Yeah. Is in June. Oh. Okay. So um and so they're usually out on the stands a couple months before that. So issue number one would have been out in March. Okay. Um, which makes sense. Usually the adaptations come out a little bit before the movie yeah. does, and so that would mean that the 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 climax of the of the comic issue four yeah. would have been out after the movie was out. Um. But that also means that if yeah, June, someone... June 11th, 1993 is, okay. is when the film was Perfect. Yeah. released. Then, then working backwards, I mean, I don't exactly know how far in advance an artist in a, has to have their work in before it goes to like the colorist and stuff, but it's yeah. got to be like six months ahead of publication at yeah. least, yeah. if not more. Um, then we're talking like the principal photography hasn't even might not have even finished by that point. Yeah, so there's a couple of points in this where you can tell that that is actually the case. Exactly. For example, the opening scene does not have um, Muldoon. It's this right. other character who actually looks like Malcolm. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's just like he's never named. And in the novel, it's not Muldoon. It's not anybody. Um, so it's just this guy. It's just this guy overseeing what's yeah. happening. Actually, he's. I think he's classically referred to as the overseer. So. Well, and you can tell also that, um, like, all of the main stars had been cast. Yeah. And they all, like, principal photography probably started, so you, they were working off of production still, so they know what how they're dressed. They're dressed exactly as they are in the comics. But then the kid yeah. um, at the very beginning who says, that dinosaur looks like a big turkey, doesn't look anything like yeah. it. Like, because... I'm sure that these all of these secondary characters they didn't know what they're going to look like. That's yeah. why Samuel L. Jackson doesn't look like Samuel L. Jackson in this adaptation yeah. because because um, he wasn't known at that time. Yeah, you might. Yeah, people might be surprised listening to this in 2016 to know that Samuel L. Jackson at one point was that guy that's in every movie that nobody knows his name. Yeah, um, and it really wasn't actually. It was. It, it's so funny because the movie that put him on the map was Deep Blue Sea. Because Deep Blue Sea was the movie where, I mean, obviously Pulp Fiction did before that, yeah. and, and that was sort of his biggest breakout thing, but Deep Blue Sea is the movie after that where uh, somebody finally acknowledged Samuel Jackson is in all of these movies, he always dies, <laughs> and he always has a speech. Right, he yeah. always has some great like he's he's so great, and so in 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 Deep Blue Sea, he gets that moment where in the middle of his, he we're not gonna die down here, we're gonna beat these sharks, <laughs> and then the great white jumps out and grabs him and pulls him under and eats yeah. him, right? And it's uh, it's it's funny because uh, you know he's definitely like Jurassic Park is one of those roles for him for him, yeah, where he has some of the best lines. Um, He's got, he's got his whole diatribe when, I, uh, you know, the, the, they're out on the, the, um, the tour right at the beginning and, and he's going through and he's like, the, this is wrong, this is wrong. And, 
the the vehicles are running off of the the vehicle headlights are running off of the the car battery yeah number blah 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 and the yeah. checklist of things to worry about and like he has his whole speech and then he's got the other one where he's he's going through everything that Nedry did and it's like it's almost like musical in the way that he delivers the dialogue um and it's all in here it's yeah, so great it is. um it's interesting to note, and, and of course, hold on to your butts, which he actually says in the comic, I think, three times. He says it in the movie two times. Yeah. Does he say it in three times? I didn't notice that. But but it's interesting to note also that he doesn't die in the comic here. Yeah, he doesn't. Yeah. He uh, They change some things around, I think, just to work the story into one issue. They that, yeah, t- that and... Tighten and things up a little bit. Interestingly, like, there's there are quite a few places where they pull punches with the gore. Yeah, and with what happens, for example, with uh, with Gennaro getting eaten yeah, by the T Rex. Yeah, they T-Rex. don't show that at all. Um, but but one place where they don't is with Nedry. In fact, with Nedry's death, they show it more explicitly than the movie does. <laughs> True, um, which I thought was really funny. But uh, but yeah, I, I I Samuel Jackson's character, I can't remember his name right now. Uh, does not does not meet with an untimely end. Does he have a name? Um, he does, yeah. Um, Doctor Arnold. Oh yeah, Arnold. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's not really. It's not even really explained. He's not in the jeep at the end. He's not really there. Um, he doesn't. He, he. We don't really see him escape. But I guess that he does. <laughs> um, he survives. So, uh, which is funny because in the book, it, actually, there are a lot of characters who make it out that that don't make it out in, uh, in the movie. Um, but yeah, it, it's a uh, it, it 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 does do a really good job of it. Um, I think one of the places where I thought that this had something from the book that that the movie doesn't actually just comes out of this cover for the collection, which there's a sequence where in the book where the T Rex um, it it chases them basically down a river, and I I. It's in the video game, yeah. Um, the video game on the Sega Genesis, uh, where you are river rafting, and the T Rex head will pop out from time to time, and it, you basically have to choose the path. And if you choose the wrong path, the T Rex head will come out and eat you. Um, <laughs> that game is so, it's so horribly, horribly bad, but awesome at the same time. Um, but yeah, they, they, uh, the, I, I thought that that I remembered them doing that in this comic. But uh, um, well, but that is didn't. an issue. That that cover of this collection is actually yeah. a cover of one of the other issues, I think. Okay, like so from issue. the so from the it later might happen stuff. in one of the the sequels. See, something. that's the thing. I, that, I think that's my thing is that that I'm I am nostalgically melding together many of the issues of the comics that I have I I had in my possession at one time or another. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, this Jurassic Park, uh, I guess it's classic Jurassic Park, I've been calling it Jurassic Park Classic. Classic Jurassic Park goes on for, I think, I think there's about five volumes. Yeah, there's five, the five of the collections, yeah. yeah. Yeah, they had a couple, they had a, the Raptors after they had the um, the two-issue miniseries, which is weird yeah. because it's it leaves it on a cliffhanger that leads directly into the next one, but then they had three more Raptor miniseries okay. along with... I think an ongoing series that lasted for 12 issues or something like that before it ended. But yeah, it went on for a long time. And then, of course, the second movie comes out, Lost World, which renders all of that 
totally yeah. not canon anymore. Yeah, well, and it, it this this comic is very funny because it it it's from a point in time that that I think I, I kids these days, as I shake my cane <laughs> on my front lawn, will never quite understand, and that's the era of. Um, movie merchandising on the same level that, that we get it these days, but in, in an era in which that movie merchandising was not controlled. Um, it, it is so controlled now yeah. to, to the extent that the force awakens comic book didn't come out until six months after the movie had well, yeah. been released in you theaters, can't, right? You can't have that come up before or yeah. even a month after that. Yeah, spoiled too yeah much. exactly. So, um, which which shows you that basically uh the the writer and artist didn't get a hold of anything until the movie had actually already been released yeah. um until the movie well, was Well then finished. a 6 months turnaround yeah. is actually pretty darn good. That's quick. Yeah. yeah. But you know, it's Marvel and Disney and Lucasfilm yeah. so they're going to That's true. do it as quickly as possible. They um, um you don't get adaptations very much anymore. No. Like you used to be able to get adaptations of every movie that, yeah. that ever came out. Every major movie. And and you just don't get that even with Disney, I find that you don't like there used to be um uh very re- reliably um yeah. an adaptation of whatever summer blockbuster animated yeah. film there was and I have like all of them and then it got up to the point where like I think I don't know if Treasure Planet got one or something like that, but like after Lilo and Stitch, none of those other movies after that yeah. got any adaptations. And uh, and I like those. I always liked them because that was my... This was before you could... You'd have to wait like a full year before yeah. it came out on VHS. Um, that's how I relive the movie yep. every single day. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's that's where this this book falls into uh, how, how the movie was marketed after the fact, right? Yeah. Um, and, and that explains why there's all this story that takes place afterwards because, um, Jurassic Park was like the thing. Yeah. Like Jurassic Park was, was everything that summer. Like 1993, you couldn't go anywhere without seeing, uh, that, uh, the Jurassic Park font on something. Yeah. Right. Because if some, if it was an official Jurassic Park merchandise, it was somebody trying to make it look like it was an official yep. Jurassic Park tie in or piece of merchandise. Yeah. Well, um, and my first exposure to Weird Al was his album, Al Palooza, that was a parody of Dur- the Jurassic Park logo right on the front. Yep. Yeah. Is that what Jurassic Park is on that album? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, Great song. Yeah, I. So one here, one other thing that um they do in the very first uh, first few pages, um right after they or I guess the first page where they meet Doctor Grant and Doctor Sadler, um they spend a lot of time talking about um like actually talking about being archaeologists, which you don't get in the movie. Yeah. Um, and then. They also spend a lot of time and extra dialogue in um, developing their relationship together. Yeah, that they're in a romantic relationship. And in the movie, there's only one mention of anything going on between them when Malcolm asks, oh, sorry, are you guys together? And, and Alan Grant's like, uh, yeah, like that's it. And it's also, it's also, to a certain degree, it's like, are they? Right. Or, or is that just like... Or is he just trying to... Get him to shut up or something, or yeah. or protect Sadler from 
him trying to make moves on, on yeah, because something like because it's kind of like it's kind of insinuated in those early scenes where where she's like, you know, a, a, a herd of child Doctor Grants could be intriguing. <laughs> yeah. um, like you can tell that there's kind of something going on between but, them, but, but nothing, how serious is the relationship? There is nothing outwardly expressed. Yeah. But in this dialogue in the comics, and maybe yeah. I don't know if it's like that in the book as well. Probably. Um, oh no. Okay, so here's the thing in the book. Ellie is, uh, she's a grad student. Oh, okay. and he is like the professor, a professor, so that's professor. A, so there's a difference. There's sort of actually the the right? age gap between them is like ten years or something like that. Okay, well, and it's actually the book. The book goes um, to the extent that it actually kind of explains that she's around him almost too much. To the point where people think that there's something going oh, okay. on, okay, right? And but there, but that there isn't because Grant isn't the type of person. Like in the book, Grant is is your classic uh, hero's journey protagonist, right? And then he's surrounded by flawed characters. Um, but both him and Ellie are sort of um portrayed as like paragons almost okay. where it's like everybody else knows what they're getting into but Grant and and Sattler don't know what the situation is and there's a certain element of Grant being like if I had known what this was going to be I never would have brought her along right. I'm responsible for her okay. like it's much more of like almost a father daughter relationship which is why it's weird that it's not weird but it is weird that she is aged up and then made his his love interest essentially in the movie, and I think it's also one of the reasons yeah. why it's played down. Well, because, I, yeah. because yeah. people who read the book and then see the movie would be like, "What? Well, Shoehorning this romance in there?" Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But okay. they had to have a, a, a so I wonder if it was lead. cut. Yeah, um, because the there are these moments in the comic that yeah. they probably drew from the screenplay, yeah. and maybe they put them in there, and then when they did their their yeah. focus groups or whatever they decided to pull it out or something yeah, later exactly. in the game. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it that surprised me how much like blatantly they are in a romance together. Yeah. And and they And the, yeah. well then there's also the element of of some of it being uh, dramatized for the comic itself. Um, and especially to play to the format of the four issue storyline. So one of the places where I'll I'll mention that is the end of the second issue, <laughs> yeah. they they leap out of the car for no reason. It, Grant is basically just like, this is boring, and gets out of the car and runs away. Yeah, well, and which he does the, in the movie, too. But he sees the he sees he something sees the out in the field. Yeah. He sees the Jeep and the and the what he thinks is is a dinosaur. So he gets out. In this, they basically get out for no reason. They're running through the bush. And then they come upon a triceratops that looks like it's about to attack them. Yeah, and then end of issue, cliffhanger. Yeah, and, and it's the end of issue cliffhanger, and then it begins the next issue. The triceratops is standing its ground, making this huge display on the first big splash page. Yeah. And then you flip the page, and the triceratops <laughs> collapses like it does in the movie. So funny, yeah. Um, in the movie, we just come upon a collapsed triceratops. Now, But that's... Here, this is the thing... That, that I will point out that is in the book, that is in the comic, that is not in the movie, that was probably cut. Okay. They figure out... Yeah. The, the gizzard stones, which yeah. is in the book, and is, like, that... 
the scene with the triceratops is never explained. No, it's in the not. Movie. And I was I was I was quite surprised reading that. Yeah. It's like, oh, that's the reason. Because yeah. as a kid, I was always like, I know what was wrong with the triceratops, and it was one of those things that like on in the schoolyard when we're talking about Jurassic Park, the following school because year, because you I, read the comic, because I had the comic, because I had because I I had issue two, I guess. Um, I, it's, it's hard for me to even know which issues I had. Um, but you have, I have the one, the, I have them in these, but I know I had that one because I knew the thing about the gizzard stones without ever having read the book. So if you want, um, why don't you explain it for the sake yeah. of our listeners who have seen who the movie a million times, yeah. but don't know. So, so the triceratops is collapsed, right? And Ellie is like, it seems like it's, it's, uh, is it endometriosis? I think it's basically it's it's poisoning. She's been poisoned by the the triceratops has been poisoned by and they think it's the berries. The lilac berries. Um but there's no sign of the triceratops grazing on the lilac berries. And if they were then it would be consistent. They would they would always be yeah. sick, right? They would never get better, but it happens it it seems to only happen once every 6 weeks. Right. So yeah, and she even says that in the movie, like yeah. every six weeks. Yeah, she walks weeks. off. Yeah, trying to figure it out. In the comic, Tim discovers a pile of rocks behind the the Triceratops that he picks up and takes over, and he's like, "Look at these." Um, and and Tim's like, "I've seen pictures of these," and then they're looking at them. They're like, "What is it?" And they and then Ellie realizes gizzard stones. That's it. That's what it is. And that explains why it's every six weeks because um, animals without teeth, without proper teeth, um, to chew up their food, swallow stones, and most commonly birds swallow stones and keep them in a secondary stomach called a gizzard. And those stones, chur- and the muscles in that in the gizzard, churn up the the plant material so that for digestion, yeah, for, for digestion purposes. So, the it's it, like this is another holdover from the book that the movie, the first movie, does a fine job of it, but it doesn't do a good enough job of explaining the concept that, um, and it's part of chaos theory, which the books are like basically thesis. Like the 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 dinosaur theme park is a a sensationalist um, sort of sugar coating. It's the candy coating on top of the thesis that is chaos theory, right? Yeah. So when you read the books, it's really all about chaos theory. Dinosaurs are the window dressing. It's just like the thing okay. that gets you in, right? Um, and then you learn all about chaos theory. Part of that thesis is that cloning a species of animal that has been extinct for over 65 million years. In some cases, some of these animals, hundreds of millions of years, um, you don't know what to expect. All we have are fossil records. And this is the other part is that we look at fossil records in museums and we see these giant dinosaur reconstructions and a lot of those reconstructions are actually our best guesses right. as to what the skeleton would look like. Yeah. And many dinosaur species that we know about, we know about from as little as a jawbone. Not the whole jawbone, one half of the jawbone, like one side of the jaw. <laughs> and then based on other dinosaurs that we have examples of, we 
extrapolate. Hypothesis. Yeah, yeah, like, okay, the jawbone is this big, so we suspect that the rest of the animal is this big. Yeah. Um, and a really great example of it is the Spinosaurus aegypticus, which is in Jurassic Park 3. And at the time, it was a scientific representation of what they thought the Spinosaurus aegypticus was like. Yeah. And now we've discovered that actually uh, its hind legs were, were much shorter and that it was more than likely a marine animal huh. and not a terrestrial animal. Huh. So, like, it, the the sail fin was actually part of its adaptation to living in an aquatic environment. Okay. So, it was a semi-aquatic uh, dinosaur. Um, the gizzard stone storyline with the Triceratops, as well as the whole concept behind the Dilophosaurus with its frill and its ability to spit venom, are part of that idea that like you have cloned animals that you have no idea what their what their natural behaviors were right. what their uh, defenses were what uh, anything about them right like you 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 think that you know what a dinosaur is because you read a paleontologist theory on it and then you cloned it and it shows up and velociraptors are even more deadly than we ever imagined. They're smarter than we thought, you yeah. know, they're faster, they're, they're better in every way. And you could have never prepared for that. So this is one of those things that definitely should have been in the movie, but was cut for time. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, whether or not it was cut in the script phase or it was cut uh, in the editing phase, um, uh, yeah, it's unclear, but but it was it's definitely it, it was in the screenplay at one point, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. So I uh, yeah, like the 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 comic is 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 a is a good way of getting in there and getting just a little bit more of the story. Yeah, and I think you'll find that also with most adaptations from this era and earlier, yeah. um, there's a lot of stuff in there. I mean, I remember reading um, the. Um, the Star Wars adaptations that Marvel put out in the 70s. Yeah. And there's a whole bunch of deleted scenes in, in those comics that yeah. never made it into the movie because they got deleted. Yeah. And it's, uh, yeah, so it's, it's these, um, it's, it's just such a neat um, window into yeah. kind of the behind the scenes. Yeah, I, I think that this is our first adaptation on the, yeah. on, on the podcast, it right? Is. Our first movie adaptation. Yeah. Uh, book we've we I mean we we did uh, uh, Parker last month. That's a different type of adaptation, which was an adaptation from purpose. a novel into yeah yeah yeah. Um, but yeah, like because th this is very crassly commercial. Yeah, right for sure. Um, but yeah, it, it it is interesting, and I think it's interesting to go back to that time period, um, to to sort of uncover that because I think starting in the period of of uh, the Phantom Menace, you started to get the clever comic book tie-ins so with the phantom menace what they did was the movie came out there was a movie adaptation that covered the plot of the the film there was actually also two other comic series two mini series that came out at the same time concurrently with the with the movie adaptation one was star wars episode one the phantom menace obi-wan kenobi oh yeah that told the story from his perspective um, that added in deleted scenes from the movie, and then the other one was Queen Amidala. And both of them added scenes that were actually shot for the movie back into the storyline by focusing on those characters and where they were when other things were occurring. So um, th that's kind of the beginning of the modern era of movie adaptations, which we that's more often what we get. And then I think actually 
Well, um, now we get the prequel. Yeah, I was going to say that kind of stuff too. One of the one of the first ones that I remember being a big deal was Star Trek in two thousand and nine. Got the prequel comic, which told the whole story and actually bridges the gap between Star Trek: The Next Generation and Star Trek two thousand and nine, because it goes into I I. Uh, Data and Geordi are important characters in it. Data is actually, I think Data is the captain of the Enterprise. And Geordi is like his his number one. And they team up with Spock, old Spock, to build that jellyfish ship that Spock <laughs> uses to try and stop the sun from collapsing. No, I'm going to have that. to check that out. Yeah, I have it. So, oh, okay. so you can definitely borrow it. Sure. Yeah, but it's it that's a prequel comic. So that's getting into a completely different era. Yeah, of, and that's of, that's how which is what yeah now. that's yeah. generally how how comic adaptations yeah. work these days. I don't think that there was there. I don't think Marvel's done any adaptations of their movies at all. No, because um, no, I remember like films? No. I remember Spider Man and Spider Man Two had yeah. adaptations. They were terrible, um, as they usually are. But yeah, I don't think anything past that. No, and like I think for obvious reasons, you know, Marvel Studios doesn't want confusion between the comic book storylines and the movie storylines. They're too separate because their right? comic book storylines are confusing enough as yeah it is. exactly <laughs> but it's it's interesting because it, when you look at it and you sort of break it down it's an interesting study in how savvy movie studios have become especially in the wake of things like disney buying a comic book company yes and so in in doing so they gained insight into the comic publishing world that disney possibly didn't have prior to that right right where they were doing very different things you know with disney adventures and with their movie ad- adaptations and and stuff like that so yeah it's uh we live in a very different world from uh, uh the world of jurassic classic jurassic park so it's fun to historically it's funny you wouldn't think that classic jurassic park that this movie adaptation would be a a historical document <laughs> but that, is, that, yeah. that could point uh place us in, in a point in time but uh I think we've just proven that it did. Yep. We should, like, teach a class in a school or something. Right? <laughs> uh, cool. Uh, well, I think that's it. I, I think that, that we've talked quite a lot <laughs> about, yeah. about the four issues of a movie adaptation. Well, it's just such a fascinating thing. So, yeah, yeah. I, I think um, if I find um, a movie adaptation that's worth talking about, then yeah. I'll definitely recommend it. Because it's, cool. yeah, it's great. Especially with a very sure. familiar movie. Try and make sure it has dinosaurs in it. I think that that's the key. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's the key for me. Okay. If you go back, if you go back across the the Pullbox podcast and our our many episodes, uh, you you'll start to figure out that there's a through line in in the things that I get excited about, and it's often okay. spaceships, dinosaurs, time travel. <laughs> These are the things that I really like. There's nothing wrong with that. Spider Man's. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Cool. Uh, well, that's it for uh, for classic Jurassic Park. What are you guys reading next month? And I say you guys because I won't be here. Yeah, if, in case you missed the announcement in the last episode, yeah. Mike's having a baby. Not yeah. him personally, but no. it's going to be his child. And yeah. uh, uh, he'll be leaving the, the show for just a couple of months. So my yeah. friend Julie is going to be taking over with us. And she's picked a book called Through the Woods um, by Emily Carroll. It's a, a short series of horror stories. And then um, I'm picking a book called A Girl on the Shore by in, um, Inio Asano. It's manga. It's a coming-of-age story um, that you will not want to read on the bus because it's not safe for work. <laughs> and then we've, um, we're have we going to also be reading 
vision number one from the all new all different marvel now um, that volume's called a little worse than man by tom king and gabriel hernandez walta um but this is the one where vision gets a family of vision people so <laughs> that should be cool. an interesting story yeah um tune into all of those and next week we will be talking about um paul up north it'll be a very different book than the two the other two we've talked about this <laughs> yeah month. for sure yeah Cool. Uh, well, that's it. Uh, thank you for listening. We'll catch you on the next episode. Keep reading comics. For more Pullbox Podcast episodes, you can check out pullboxpodcast.com to submit a reader poll. Uh, you can email thepullboxpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us at Twitter and on Instagram at pullboxpodcast. You can follow me, Curtis, on Instagram at Curtis Bidley. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at ArkWolf, A-R-K-W-U-L-F. You can can also find all of our other great podcasts over at Thunderquack.com, and uh, that's the home of the Thunderquack Podcast Network, of which we are proudly a part. And uh, and if you want to help support all of our podcasts at Thunderquack, you can do that by heading to Patreon.com slash Thunderquack. And, uh, and, and you, can, you can pledge your support over there. Every dollar helps. But uh, if you're a Pullbox fan and supporter, then you'd definitely be interested in the $20 level, which allows you to get all three episodes of the Pullbox podcast, all three of our books, as one long, super long episode uh, right at the beginning of the month, as opposed to having to wait for the individual episodes to be released. So you can find all that at patreon.com slash And all of our other podcasts at thunderquack.com.